Um, so when I said growing up, like I really wasn't into the horses. The only thing I was into was the freestyle. Like when that, the Denver freestyle was the one thing I have attended every year since I was little, like since it started, my dad, we would always go to that. And, um, you know, I was very lucky in that. I just loved it. Cause I love the entertainment factor. And I mean, it's every little girl's dream dress up and run around on, you know, run around your horse in a dress and like sparkles and glitter and lights. Like, you know, that was the one thing I like was into. And so... You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to The Ride, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Horse and Rider Magazine, co-hosted by Nicole Cherico and Devin Conley. In each episode, we chat with some of the industry's top trainers, clinicians, horsekeeping experts, and professionals to share inspiring stories, training philosophies, and the importance of living your best Western horse life. In this episode, we sit down to talk to Sherry Schwarzenberger. Sherry is a second-generation professional horsewoman from Longmont, Colorado. She grew up in the horse industry with very accomplished parents. Sherry has shown extensively in the NRHA and AQHA, first as an amateur and non-pro, and then turned professional in 2017. She's a capable competitor, a talented coach, and one of the elite freestyle reigning competitors in the nation. Sherry is here to talk about freestyle reigning and her experiences growing up in the industry, as well as finding her own training and coaching style. This episode is brought to you by Purina. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Ride. This is Nicole. I'm here with my co-host, Devin. And today we are talking with NRHA professional Sherry Schwarzenberger. You have probably seen her on social media because I feel like every year she has another freestyle video that goes viral (laughs) online. Um, But Sherry has been a reigning competitor her whole life, grew up with a family that's involved in the industry and has turned a career into it. So Sherry, thank you so much for coming on here and talking with us and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you guys so much for having me and invite me. I'm excited. This is the first podcast I've ever done. So (laughs) hopefully be entertaining. (laughs) Well, I love it. Um, We have a lot of people who are first timers on the podcast and it's fun to, to hear your story and, and, you know, be kind of the first ones to really dive into it. But for people who may not know who you are or may not be familiar with the reigning industry in your family, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing Obviously, your horse life is going to be a lot different from other people who had to find their love for horses yeah. outside of a family that didn't do the horse industry. But you come from a family, your your dad and your mom both own a training, you know, business in the reining industry. And, you know, your dad's a vet and you guys do a lot of, you know, breeding and, and you're hitting every aspect of the horse industry. Yep. So um, my parents are Stephen Dory Schwarzenberger and they have um, trained horses in Colorado, Longmont, Colorado for over I think it's maybe approaching even 40 years now. Um, they've done it for a long time. Um, they, my dad went to um, vet school at CSU. And um, when he was in between, well, when he was applying to vet school, he um, started training horses down in Colorado Springs. He was, uh, my grandparents um, were in the Air Force, were in the Air Force. So that's where he grew up was in the Springs. And um, so he started training horses down there. And then when he was at, in vet school, he that's how he kind of got started. He was pay, training horses to help pay his way through vet school. So, um, and then my mom, she was at CSU, um, and it, she got her doctorate in animal nutrition and mostly beef cattle and stuff like that. But they met kind of in the dorms and at college and stuff. And through um, various things, they ended up together. <laughs> and um, 
and when they finished, my dad graduated school, he was actually making more training horses than he was, could have been as paid as a vet. So that's how he kind of got started. They decided to kind of give the horse training business. As they said, we'll just do it until we're broke and then we'll get real jobs. And, you know, 30, 40 years later, here we are still making it happen. So, uh, so yeah, so I grew up with them and honestly, my parents were, you know, I, horses were always around, but they really tried to actually like push us into other interests. So like, I, like I always had, like I had a horse to show when I was younger and I'd show in the summer and stuff, but my mom, she was adamant. We'd not show, miss school to go to horse shows. Um, so I think that's a little different than lots of people nowadays. There's a lot of kids like my sister, she's the typical kid, you know, horse crazy girls, like from a little time, she was always begging to be on the horse and stuff where I was a little, I guess not disinterested, but I just was into other stuff and it wasn't my main focus or dream. So, um, you know, when we were little, I was really into basketball, volleyball, all other sports. So that was more my focus. So, you know, in the summer I would show and um, during throughout the year I'd ride, but I wouldn't really, it wasn't a high, you know, a high thing. My horse always got kicked outside during the rest, during school and stuff. So, um, so it wasn't, I guess my parents are a little different in that they tried to get us to do other interests. They wanted us, like my dad always said, go get a real job and, you know, do this as a hobby because it's a hard lifestyle. And I mean, you're stuck at the rate, like as anyone with horses know you, you're tied to them. You have to, can't just like take vacations all the time. And especially for us, when you have 50, 40, 50 horses on the place, you can't, it's hard to get away. So, um, you know, your, our life revolves around them. So they kind of tried to push us away from it. And, um, we both, both my older sister and I, you know, she's always been known that's what she wanted to do, whether it was vet school or get into the, um, you know, re she worked at, managed a couple repro barns and stuff. So she's always been into it. And, um, mine, when I got into college, I actually got my degree in hospitality management and, um, was going to be a wedding planner. And I did that for a little while. And after that, I came home cause I was broke and needed money. And, um, started helping my folks and actually kind of figured out, you know, I was like, I want to kind of try this. I've never shown like, I'm probably one of the few kids that grew up in a horse show world that didn't like, I bet I, the first time I went to the fraternity or even heard of it was like when I was like 19, you know, I'd not, my parents, I just wasn't, it was always during school. So I'd never went and my sister would go, but it was really not on my radar. So like, I didn't know the big names or anything. So after college, I was in my twenties was when I really kind of was like, what is this? Like, what do we do? Like kind of got into it and started learning to ride horse, like younger horses and how to train them and stuff. And I just really found that it, you know, it's kind of was, became my passion. I was really into it. And I, you know, I was told my parents, I'll just do this until I wake up and want to, I don't want to go outside and ride or I don't want to do it. And I'll get a real job, just kind of how they did it. And that's never happened. It, it can be, 10 feet of snow and cold and I still want to go out there and you know it's presented me a day like no days are the same we always have challenges and um I love working with the clients that's a big thing I've um enjoyed and because I showed as a non-pro so I really enjoy helping non-pros and um I've enjoyed you know kind of becoming a the process of becoming a professional and going pro and all that so it's kind of a path I never expected when I was younger um, but I've really come to like find it as a passion. I think that makes it even more rewarding to, you know, when I was little, my grandparents and everyone you talk to, they say, find it, find, do something you love and you never work a day in your life. And I truly think that's kind of what it is. And I think it's just cause it's our upbringing. It's in our blood. You know, my parents ended up the same way. None of us planned on this lifestyle, but we just ended up here. <laughs> 
Yeah, I get that. So growing up, you did a bunch of different sports and activities outside of the horse show world. Do you feel like uh, doing all those things outside of showing horses impacted like your perspective on the show world when you finally entered it later on, uh, like you said, 19, 20 or so? Do you feel like that changed your perspective, having that like really well-rounded background of different activities and sports? Um, I think so. It made me like, obviously we're all competitive. We're all very competitive in nature, you know, growing up in that. So, um, I always wanted to be competitive. I always, um, from sports have learned that, you always thought there was something you could learn when I was growing up, I was always going to camps, um, team turn, you know, team stuff. Um, you know, I didn't, I've always thought you can, there's always something more you can learn and you can always improve on your skills and stuff. And I still believe that with the, um, horses, you know, every day, I learned something new and, you know, um, having my parent, both my parents and now my sister moved home, having all those resources, the whole family there now. So, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of every day you learn something. They always tell us, and even our assistants and clients and stuff, you know, they'll post questions that I've never heard or never even thought about. And, you know, it makes me better to have to like, think about how do I, how do I explain this? How do I answer this? And, you know, and the horses, they, they're all individuals. So you always encounter something new. Like they'll, you'll get one that'll do something. You're like, well, what did I do to teach it that? So, so it's a, you know, it's a very, um, I think sports and that whole thing, you know, it just really showed me that you, if you're passionate about it and you really enjoy it, you need to be a student of it. And you always hear that and from, from, from professionals, like football players and everything, but the best ones is they're students of the game. And, you know, that's kind of, um, I think that leads into the horse training as well. You know, if you really want to be good at it, you have to be kind of, I hate to say almost obsessed with it. And that's kind of how we are. It's most of our conversations that revolve around horses or clients or shows, or, you know, we, we do have other hobbies and stuff, but it's what we, it's what we're passionate about. We're always worried about them and thinking about it. So, you know, and I think growing up with sports and everything, it just showed me that, you know, and in addition to hard work, you know, if you put in the work on the court or, you know, after the gym or whatever, it pays off when you go to perform and it's exactly the same in the arena. So. Yeah, for sure. I think having that athletic background just like sets you up for success in the horse industry. Cause you do, you have that athletic mindset, you have that, you know, you're just as much as an athlete as the horse. And I feel like we've gone down this road with Kelly Altschweiger, who's one of your really mm-hmm. good friends. Yep. Yep. And, um, we've had her on the podcast to talk just about that, but you, uh, you know, you touched on, you have to be almost obsessed with it. I, it's so true because horses are too expensive. And like you said, like it's, it's a really hard life. Like you, you yeah. don't go on vacation. You have, you know, you, you are probably have more to take care of than a majority of people who are probably listening to this podcast. But when you have 40 or 50 head, you can't just leave town for the weekend and go to the mountains or, you know, fly somewhere for the weekend. And so, yeah, it's, it's too expensive of a sport and it it takes up too much time to not be obsessed with it. Um, so obviously you have that obsession when you transition from non-pro to professional, obviously, that's a huge change in riding and showing, even though you're still doing the same thing, you're still showing reigning horses, you know, going from that non-pro division to that open division can be really daunting. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that transition and, and what it was like going from the non-pro into the professional division? 
Um, yeah, it was definitely a change, but you know, I warranted, you know, when I started out, I was told my parents, I was like, you know, if I don't get tired of it and quit and go get a real job, you know, my goal, if I want to do this is I need to get paid to so I'll do it professionally. So after I competed for a while as a non-pro, um, I kind of reached the point that I was like, you know, I want to give it a try. So NRHA has the, um, has an apprentice program where you basically surrender your non-pro status for a year and you can work for a trainer and, um, you, it's a trial year to see if you want to be a professional trainer. And then after that year period, you can decide whether you want to stay an open rider or go back to a non-pro. So I did that. Um, and I did it with my dad and I thought about doing it with some other, um, different trainers. My dad had reached out to lots of different trainers, Jordan Larson, even Andre Fapani, a bunch of them. And they were all open to, you know, so they'd take apprentices and stuff. But after visiting with my parents and everything, I just really thought like, you know, what I like to do at, at the time, especially was, I was like, you know, I really want to work with non-pros and, um, I want to see what it would be like to work in our situation. Cause this is like, you know, here, my dad, unfortunately, I mean, as always like everyone, they're getting older and he's reaching the point of, you know, retiring, retiring if they do that. <laughs> and, um, so I was like, well, I have a, you know, we have a facility, we have a business. And at the time my sister was in Texas, I'm like, no one's, you know, they're either going to sell it and quit. Or I said, you know, anyone else would be crazy to miss this thing. So I just get, kind of decided to stay home, work with my dad, see if it, how it would be, how that life and how that would work out. And so I worked with my dad and mom and, um, Though at first, I mean, it was really nice. You know, all of our clients were extremely supportive and stuff and really excited when I decided to go for it. And, um, it took a while. Like I was lucky I had a pretty nice derby horse from when I was a non-pro. So, you know, when I transitioned into showing and competing as an open rider, I was still, especially locally, I was pretty competitive that way. Um, but you know, it's just a different level. You know, I was work, I maybe it was really easy and could run 71s, maybe 72s, like with my eyes closed and it was very, you know, I was very competitive, but you know, I was joked with my dad that it was kind of a scam. I said, now I run those scores and I can't even get my name called. So I was like, now I have to run like a 73 just to get a paycheck. But it was, you know, I think it was the push I needed to really um, step up and try to look at really focus on what I was doing and how to improve and get better. And, um, you know, similar situation. I, um, couple of years ago, my dad got hurt. He had to have, he got hurt and had to have his shoulder replaced. So I, um, he had a client that he had bought him a really, really nice three-year-old, um, named Spoots Matris, Inga Guernsey. And so he'd shown him at Summerslide and his shoulder was getting replaced in August. So it was like, or end of August. So it was right before the Tulsa, like a week before that they told him he wouldn't be able to show anymore and he was going to have to have surgery. So, um, he and Inga talked and they said, well, let's give shit. Let's let Sherry try showing him and see how she gets along. And so they gave me the opportunity. I took him to Tulsa and we had a few bobbles there. Um, but you know, it's a whole different caliber of horse than I was used to. And, um, so it was a learning curve, but Inga was, you know, both Inga and my dad were very patient and that horse kind of like stepping up. He, he challenged me like, cause I'm like, this is the kind of horse that you need that, you know, is an open horse and this is what I need to compete on. And I need to, that was a challenge to me to step up myself and my showmanship to show him off to the level he should be at and, and to train him to get to there. Cause you know, in the past, my dad, he would always, you know, if I struggled somewhere, I'd say, you know, he'd get on and help me and 
he'd basically like show me how to fix it or he'd just fix it. And then, you know, it wasn't a big deal, but, you know, not having him there kind of made me have to really grow up, I guess, officially and learn to do it on my own. And, you know, I was very lucky. I feel even to this day, I was thinking the other day how blessed I was to have Inga trust me with her horse. And, um, you know, and I showed him and had some really good success as a three-year-old. And they decided to let me keep showing him through his dirt for a few years. And we had some really great runs and I learned a ton. And he really just helped me elevate my training and my, you know, get confidence on how to compete in the open and show. And, you know, it's still something I still work on every day. And, um, but, you know, I feel very blessed to have had that opportunity to do that. And same thing as, you know, it, I think getting that opportunity really helped me push myself to be a better trainer and be, a, you know, really dig into being an open rider. That's a great story. I, I like the trial by fire, you know, way that you had to learn. Yeah. <laughs> I learned the same way, like on the job, let's just do it. Throw me to the wolves. Um, yeah, exactly. And then having to like step up for the horse because you want to show off the horse's capabilities. So then you realize like, oh, I better work on myself too. I think that's a good message for anybody. Um, training out of the same barn as your mom and dad, that's a super cool opportunity. What is that like to have that kind of support team around you all the time? I mean, that's, that's incredible, right. To have that, that yeah. behind you, like whenever you need it. Yeah. It's a little, I mean, it has its challenges. It is working with family and especially with my sister home now we, and anyone, anyone that knows us, like we are a strong opinionated family and we're very vocal and we're not afraid to tell each other that. So there, there gets some brawls once in a while and, our poor assistants, Sam and Emily, they have days they tiptoe around um, things because they're like, oh gosh. But, um, you know, it's really, it's, I feel very blessed because both, like, both my tra- my parents are NRHA judges. Uh, my mom served as a judges committee chairman for a long period of time. She's traveled the world training judges. So, you know, her insight along with my dad's um, is just invaluable because they're always, um, even, you know, my mom, the last year she's had some back issues, so she can't ride. Um, but she comes out every day and she'll sit there and watch us for a while. And, you know, they're always telling you, yes, that looks good. Or no, you need to do this. And like, for me, it's always, am I fast? I've learned I've never fast enough. So, you know, it's always like, every time I wonder if I'm going fast enough, I've just decided, no, you're never fast enough. So, you know, but it's really helped me. And they always, it's good to have those people and even my sister to bounce ideas off of and um, just a pair of eyes, you know, when you're by yourself, you don't have those eyes. And even my assistants, you know, some people, I value their opinions when um, like last year, my dad was, he's um, breeding season is very big for him. So he can't travel. So one of my assistants, Zam, he came on the road with me and it was just the two of us pretty much all spring. And he was my eyes and ears to take care, like help me get ready. Cause again, I'd be like, well, does that look good? Does that look, you know, am I going fast enough? And he was, you know, he was there to help me and say, I no, you need to go faster. Or, you know, I'd bounce ideas off him of, you know, how do, does this, like, am I weird? Like, do I feel this? Does this look weird? You know, he always, cause I, I feel stuff and I tried, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So, you know, nothing's ever good enough in my eyes. But, um, you know, there's a lot of times that the big picture is, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees kind of thing. So, you know, I, I need that outside person to help me and, you know, just confirm what I'm feeling or tell me, give me advice. You know, I feel like that's something I try as a professional and just, you know, especially as a trainer to be very open. And, um, you know, I'm always having my, try to 
make myself have uh, ask my dad, you know, every week, like watch this one, watch, help me. What do you think? And, you know, he, he's ridden with several trainers. He's been in the business for so long. Um, you know, and he explained to me, he goes, I can let you, he goes, sometimes he lets me flounder and figure it out on my own. Cause he says, that's the best way to figure it out. But then he's like, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, mistakes I've made that you, if you like, if you're willing to listen, I'll help you. So you don't have to make those. And, you know, I feel like you need to be open-minded and, you know, use his knowledge, use my mom's knowledge as a judge, as well as she's written and stuff. And she's worked with, she coached, has coached a lot of not pros. So, you know, I try to use both those avenues to kind of gain insight to help, you know, I guess, get myself ahead and not have to learn through all the hard mistakes that some they've had to. So it just, it's helped me and it gives me a more rounded, um, you know, view of it and different ideas. And cause I don't, I know I don't have all the answers and sometimes, you know, like there's times I'm working on something and my mom comes out and tells me do something different. And I'm just like, ah, and I don't think she's right. And then like an hour later I try it and I'm like, dang it. <laughs> like, don't tell her that was right. <laughs> so, you know, usually I've learned, you know, never say never on it. And I try to keep an open mind in it. You know, they, well, I would love to say I know it all, but I don't. So I just generally swallow my pride no matter what I think and try to listen to them and go from there. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, we each have our own style and stuff. So, but they're very good at letting me kind of try my own, you know, do my own thing, but they don't let me deviate too much because I tend to sometimes overdo it. And like, you know, when my sister moved home, I was listening to her and getting all this advice from her. And they'd be like, well, don't leave, you know, it's good to try stuff, but don't get too far away from what you do and stuff. So it's good. Uh, they keep me balanced, I think. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, I, I think there's challenges that come with having so many people in one barn is like you said, family, but it's also really great to know that if you do run into trouble, you have that support system and you can call your dad up or your mom or, or your sister and, and get advice on what they might do over a certain aspect yeah. of it. So that's really cool. One thing that I really stood out to me is how you had mentioned that non like you knew immediately that you wanted to coach non-pros that was something that you knew going into the open division working as a professional you wanted to help non-pro riders and I think a lot of people who don't come from the horse training side of it don't really realize that like you can be a really amazing open level trainer and you might be a horrible non-pro coach or you know like the other way yeah. around like you could be the best non-pro coach in the world but you might not be winning the fraternity every year like and so it's really you know we hear from so many people who are like oh yeah i i wanted to train the best of the best horses but i love hearing from someone who's like no I wanted to train non-pros because i think at the end of the day the non-pros are the backbone of this industry and you have to you know if we don't have them, there's only so much money in, in the open level. And especially that 1% at the top of the open level, but there are so many non-pro riders out there who, who just want to get better. And I love knowing that you want to help them. Can you kind of talk about, you know, one, obviously talking and coaching people, that's a skill set all on its own, because I know so many people who can ride the heck out of a horse, but cannot tell you how they do it. But also like, you know, just having that mindset of being able to coach them through, you know, difficult things at the horse shows. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was something in my mom and dad, they said, you know, when we talked about me going pro, because I was like, I really like, enjoy, I want to help people. And like, that's something my parents have done their whole career, you know, and they always said, you know, that's like you said, they're the backbone. And especially up in Colorado, our non-pros, um, non-pro 
I guess demand is huge up here and like our shows for as long as I can remember the non-pro classes are the biggest classes I mean I remember competing in a limited non-pro class that had 130 entries at Summerslide one year and um, so I mean that's just it's a huge part up here and um, I think it comes from me liking like even in sports when I was growing up you know I was always kind of the one that liked to help, like if someone didn't know or was struggling in a drill or something, I wanted to help them. And, you know, I've always kind of, and even after I played sports, I got my basketball coach from high school when I was in college or after college, somewhere around there, she'd reached out to me about being a coach, uh, helping coach one of her teams, but with horses and stuff, I couldn't commit the time. But, you know, it just kind of made me aware that I think I just innately have that instinct to like want to help people and coach. And after from competing as a non-pro and, um, you know, and I'd been pretty successful. I'd never like won anything major, but I made the finals a few times. I was happy with what I did and had done in such a short period. Um, you know, I think it just helps me relate to them more. I know where a lot of my, like I have clients from all levels that are starting out to what we have, like green riders to, um, you know, people that want to, like I have one girl that she wants to, she's like a big time non-pro and wants to make like win the derby and stuff. And, you know, everyone in between, you know, all kinds of levels and it's just trying to relate to them. I've, you know, I, I deep down, I think, you know, something that made my, my parents and um, our family always tries to reiterate to them is that this is supposed to be fun for them. You know, we want them, no one wants them to do have do better than we do, but not at the expense of their enjoyment. And so, you know, we have, a, and a lot of it's our clientele, we're very blessed. They have a good approach to it. They're in it for the right reasons. You know, lots of them love their horses. They don't, they just want to have fun, take care of them. They want, you know, if they win a paycheck, they're ecstatic, but they just want to learn and get better every time, you know, and just have, enjoy spending time with us and spend, spend time with their friends. And so, you know, they don't put a ton of pressure on themselves, some of them, but you know, there are the few that we have that do put a lot of pressure. And I just try to reiterate, I'm like, just remember, you like, win, lose, or draw, this isn't the end of the world. Like how you do in the show pen does not determine if like, you know, there's food on your table at the end of the day, or, you know, there's, this is their, this is something they should enjoy. And I always tell them, you know, you can afford, you could afford to go on a lot of vacations for what you spend on this. So let's at least like win, lose or draw, let's at least have some fun and make this fun. And so, you know, that's something I really try to enjoy, try to really emphasize to them. And, you know, I want to be competitive. I want them to be competitive. And, you know, I always tell them, like, no one will work harder on your horse than me. And like, I will, I encourage them. There's no dumb questions. Like, I don't care if you don't understand why you ride with your left hand over your right hand or why, you know, their horse twicks its ears when you kick it or something. You know, I try to encourage them to be open, to ask questions. And, you know, we set realistic goals My um, with my clients. And I really think that me being able to relate to them, a lot of it, like, you know, I try to ride all their horses and that helps me understand to say, okay, like, because a lot of them can feel something, but they don't know how to describe what's going on. And I can say, okay, I know what you're feeling, you know, and it's a similar thing for me. Like when my parents will say something, you know, they'll say, okay, I think what you're feeling it doesn't impact the big picture. So, you know, I can relate cause I'm very similar to a lot of them. So I need that outside. It helps. I think because of that, I'm able to communicate with them and break things down to them and a little, make it a little simpler and explain it. I don't mind taking the time to sit down and tell them why we do a drill, why we fence, why we, you know, and what we're 
trying to accomplish when we do things. And, um, you know, and if something doesn't make sense, I'll take the time to reiterate, you know, try to explain it better to them. Cause I think that does help them. And a lot of it is they just appreciate the time to you take to help them, you know, cause a lot of them, some people don't then start riding, you know, grow up in a horse family or grow up around horses. They started it when they're older and, you know, and that's something my parents have always instilled with us is like, we work a lot on horsemanship and, you know, putting your heels down, sitting balanced in the saddle, you know, that kind of stuff, because it all impacts how you show. And so it's not just a come, we have your horse and we encourage them to like, we'll help get the horses ready, but we encourage them to like, get their horse ready, brush them, spend time with them. Cause that's what, I mean, that's what they're there for. If they just want it. I mean, it's not like a car where you just rent your car, jump in and drive away. You know, we have some clients that kind of like that, but we try to encourage them, like spend some time with your horse, like get to know them. You know, we love being around them and we feel blessed that we get to, you know, work with our, their animals and take care of them every day in and day out. But, you know, I try to get um, our clients, you know, spend time with them, get to know their personalities, you know, they're all different. And just like the clients, a lot of times they're very similar to their owners. So um, we just try to make it fun. And um, that's something that I think that is why I've got we've grown our non pro business pretty big is I, I, I'm there to push them, but I'm, I try to keep it in react, like in check, you know, it's not in the end of the day, if they win the class or if they lose the class, it doesn't matter to me. I want, as long as they've had fun and they've enjoyed the experience and they're enjoying their horse and they're happy with it. That's what matters to me. So. And coming from a teaching background, I know so many people miss out because they're scared to ask questions and they don't want to be like be perceived as being dumb or whatever. So I love that you encourage that. And that, that whole mentality is awesome. And it's supposed to be fun. I think that's something that everybody needs to hear multiple times, right. In this, in this sport, because it is a sport and we want to be competitive, but it's supposed to be fun also. So I just, thanks for saying that. Um, I think that's all, that all really speaks to like your philosophy, working with your clients and their mentality. If you could sum up your horse training philosophy in like a sentence, what would that be? I know it's probably really hard to sum it up in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I guess, I guess my, our philosophy is mainly just trying to help each horse reach its the best it can be whether that and whether that's in a, as a reigning horse or some other discipline you know not every horse is meant to be a rainer and not you know and i you you i hate to think how many horses are ruined or because they are tried to force to be it you know you can have the best reigning bred horse and if it's not what they're supposed to be it's not but it doesn't mean they're a bad horse you know a lot of times so that's i've dealt a lot especially over the years i was um involved with selling a lot of horses and, um, there were, there period where I was kind of, there's, um, I would take consignments in and sell them for people and stuff. And, you know, I really enjoyed that because it's just finding out what that horse is good at. And, you know, and like I said, um, the beautiful thing, or like not everyone is a rainer. So, you know, in general with raining horses, we get them pretty broke. They get pretty broken. You can go a lot of different avenues, which is why I love the raining. And, um, it sometimes takes a little longer to get them there, but you know, they, you, they're very versatile on where you can go. So we just have our basic kind of foundation we put on. Um, so when I would get them in, you know, basic foundation that we kind of tr- place, we try to get into, and then you can, you know, dictate what their strengths are. You know, some horses are maybe a little too hot and like to go faster than, so that it doesn't mean they're bad. They're maybe not the best rainer, but they might be a rope horse. They might be a barrel horse or, you know, or some of them are, you know, or they're, they can be a trail horse, which there's nothing wrong with that, you know especially as of late, like if you watch the market, like a broke, quiet, 
trail horse is worth a ton right now. So, I mean, every horse has a path and, um, you know, I think our goal is to try to find that, you know, figure out what they're good at and try to bring out the best. And even if it's not for what we need, even like, even the ones we raise and stuff, you know, they're not all going to be, bar, you know, winners and stuff, but we try to do, put them, put them in a level that they can be successful at, you know, show them where they can be good. Most of the ones, you know, even if it's, you know, we always dream to raise the fraternity champion and something that's amazing, but well, 99% of them aren't that horse, you know, that's a, like you said, that's a 1% maybe. And someday we hope we can get there, but that doesn't mean we raise a lot of really nice horses and that's what we try to produce and provide to our clients. And when we sell them, that's what we try to provide is a horse that, you know, what you get that you can take, you can trust, you can enjoy. And you know, it's got, it's got a good foundation and good, good training behind it, but it also has a sound mind and it's happy and enjoys its job because that's the hardest thing is when you have something that, or one that doesn't enjoy it and you're trying to make it happen. And it's just, it no, no matter how hard you try and no matter how try, you try to force it, you can't force something that's not meant to be sometimes. So, um, you know, that's something we try to do is really keep like NRH and all of say the horse first. And that goes in their, you know, well being and everything, but also in their mental thing. And, you know, and they're, you know, some of them, some of them physically can't stand to be a rainer. They, they get sore or get hurt or, you know, it's just finding the right, the right niche for each horse kind of thing. So that's something we really try to find and focus on. And, and in same thing, even with ones that can be rainers, you know, they're just the beginning, you know, a lower level rainer. That's not bad. Like let them be what they are and try to make them the best they can be and improve on them. But you're also not going to make them, they're going to, they're not a plus one stopper. You're not going to make it happen. So, you know, just kind of let them be what they are and make them the best they are. And, you know, try to make sure the owners are, aware of where their horses are or whatever and that you know everyone's on the same page that's you know the biggest thing (laughs) the other thing I really like about the reigning um is how many different classes there are for you know at a reigning show you like you said there's the lower level stuff there's the rookie there's the the green horse and then you go into your you know fraternity horses your derby horses your open level your high-end non-pro but there's a place for everybody. And I, I think that's the one thing that really drew me to reining in particular is because I have a little reining horse and I can show in all the levels because I've never done it before. And like the fact that you can make some pretty decent money in the level one. I mean, you know, you might not have a level four horse, but you can still compete in the level one or the level two and do really well and take home money and have fun and enjoy yourself. And it's, you know, there's just as many people competing in that level one stuff as there are the level four. I mean, it's, it's so cool to see that they have so many events for the reigning horse. So yeah, you raise one, it's not going to be the level four winner of the fraternity, but it could still be a really great non-bro horse in the level one or the level two, or a great rookie horse or a great short stirrup horse. I mean, there's so many different avenues that they can go within the reigning. Yes, exactly. And that's what I love about it. And even different breeds and stuff. You know, I have a client that, um, she, when she, a few years ago, she had a Mustang that she trained, a rescued Mustang that she trained to do reigning. And, um, you know, and she took it and she showed it in Vegas and, you know, and some ancillary stuff and, um, all of that. So it's very, you know, I think the NRHA has done really well at giving an avenue for different, you know, all kinds of levels of riders and horses as well. And, you know, and they try to, um, really encourage it and their different programs they push and stuff. It try it's, it's very welcoming and stuff. So I, that's one part I do love about reigning as well. 
All right. So <laughs> I know uh, at the beginning, Nicole was talking a little bit about like your freestyle reigning performances. Uh, if you guys haven't seen those, you got to go watch some of those videos. I know they've gone viral a bunch. Um, incredible performances, just beautiful. What drew you to the freestyle reigning? Uh, you really made a name for yourself there. Was there, did that happen on purpose or were you, was it just something fun you wanted to try? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, so when I said growing up, like I really wasn't into the horses. The only thing I was into was the freestyle. Like when that, the Denver freestyle was the one thing I have attended every year since I was little, like since it started, my dad, we would always go to that. And, um, you know, I was very lucky in that. I just loved it. Cause I love the entertainment factor. And I mean, it's every little girl's dream dress up and run around on, you know, run around your horse in a dress and like sparkles and glitter and lights. Like, you know, that was the one thing I like was into. And so, um, you know, and I was very lucky cause freestyle was pretty new and it was raining was pretty new still. So, um, it was a great way to kind of introduce people and the general public to raining. So, um, my dad being one of the, you know, him and Guy Vernon and stuff being one of the initial people to bring it out here. Um, they, the Denver stock, well, not but National Western, we had various committees and stuff that would invite my dad to do exhibitions of freestyle reining and to show how to do it. And, um, you know, dad being dad and old and stuff, he did, he got tired of doing them. So he would send his daughters to go do them. And so everyone asks how I got started is that's how I did. And it was an amazing opportunity. You know, at the time I just thought it was really fun to go do, but, um, you know, I, that's how it kind of got my foot in the door and kind of helped me build into getting into it is I got to do them in less pressure situations. You know, I'd go and they'd have like a conference and they needed some entertainment. So they'd have invite us to come. So my sister and I would go and we do little freestyle routines on our horses. And, um, then I started competing and then there was a few years when the freestyle, I can't remember exactly when, but when it was, they were kind of down on numbers or like, I think my dad, there's again, some years my dad just didn't feel like doing it. And so they would let me fill in or my sister would fill in for him. And so those gave us opportunities to kind of get our foot in the door where now it's such a, a selective thing and it's so hard to get into you know um i was feel very blessed that we kind of grew up with that opportunity and you know that's an advantage of having my parents and they them giving us that opportunity to go do it but in doing so they really you know it helped me kind of approach it the right way i'd watched guy vernon do freestyles i'd seen pete kyle perform you know some of the greatest ones I've ever seen, you know, I'd watch them perform there and I'd help my, you know, I was involved in the process. I helped my dad, you know, we helped my dad and watched my mom and him come up with routines and how they approached it. And, you know, and as I would do my own, my dad would, you know, mom and dad would work with me. And, you know, my dad's biggest thing, and I've said in several interviews, you know, the number one thing he always tells me is focus on your maneuvers. He goes, it's a raining, especially if it's a competition. He goes, no matter what, it's a raining. And so, you know, I've been, that's always, my primary focus is to do the best maneuvers I can. And then next and next you focus on the routine and the, you know, piecing the rest. And honestly, for me, the crowd, the entertainment factor has been the, what the last thing that I've really kind of learned and to develop because and like initially and people don't really know, I'm a pretty shy person. And so, you know, growing up and stuff, like even when I was little, I'd always hide behind my parents and 
So, you know, going out there and they see me now when I'm out there and dancing and, you know, playing with the crowd and stuff, that's something that I've really kind of had to learn to do. And, you know, it's not something that's natural to me, like it was to Guy and to Pete and a lot of those guys that, you know, they're just very, that's their personalities. I'm, I'm a little more reserved like my dad and stuff. And so, um, it's something I've had to learn. And I, you know, and honestly, my parents kind of laugh because they're like, it's like you go in the arena and like a stage, my stage presence comes on. And because my dad, they both never imagined I would do like, be like I am out there with it and stuff. But um, I think a lot of it's just kind of, I've learned to be comfortable out there. And that's the from the opportunities I've been presented with. I mean, the first time I did freestyle at Denver, I remember sitting on my horse and getting ready to go in and I like was white. The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science, and their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, back to the freestyle stuff. So, I mean, I think that's just having those opportunities really helped me develop, learn how to do them and how to perform them. And, um, you know, I've just kind of built on them from there. And, um, you know, I've been another side of it. I've been very lucky to find some pretty good ideas. So (laughs) those are hard to come by. So I've been lucky in the creative department as well, I guess. Well, and for those that are not familiar, when you say that you've competed at Denver, you're talking about the National Western Stock Show, which is one of, you know, the biggest stock shows in the country, I would say, and, and one of the oldest running. And um, but what you're not including is that this is a sold out event that people pay like $50 a ticket to attend. And I've had the opportunity to attend it the last two years. And yeah, I would probably also go pale and um, freak out the first time I had to do it too, because you're literally in a sold out audience having to do this performance. It's insane. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a whole new beast and something, you know, like at the typical raining, you, I mean, you have people that watch, but it's nothing like that. And, you know, the adrenaline and the atmosphere of that arena is unlike anything else. You know, you kind of understand how to me, for me, it's like if I was in the NFR or something of that nature, it would be that environment because it's just electric in there. And um, what's a little different is it brings a, it's not just horse people. It's not just reining people. It's people like there are people that have attended it since the start that they live in Denver and they just, they, they don't know much about, or they're new to horses. They own a horse. They maybe have ne- never grown up around them or anything, but they've happened upon it and like they attend it every year. And so it's, it's a great, I mean, you meet all kinds of people. I met a lady this year that she'd, she's literally been to every one of them and seen me grow up in it. And it was like her bucket list to meet me. And, you know, and I'd, and she's, I was visiting with her and she's same thing. She just, she's like, I love this show. And it's, you know, so that's been really cool is watch it grow. Cause like I said, there were some years that, you know, there was like no people, the snowstorm came or something like that. And it was in, attended very well. And um, they were begging people to come perform at it cause they could barely get 10 people to perform. So, you know, it's had its ups and downs and growing pains, but you know, the last, I would say at least decade or so, it's been, it's really got its foot and just taken off. And I, you know, I owe a lot, I give a lot of that credit to 
you know, the guys that started it and, you know, the competitors that were here, you know, my dad, Guy Vernon, Shane Brown, Devin Warren, um, you know, Aaron Ralston, all those guys that Terry Wagner, um, that, you know, from the very beginning, they took pride in that event and they, you know, they put, took it upon themselves to make it what it is, is they, they knew everyone was going, you don't bring just any horse, you bring your best horse and you better come up with a good routine. Cause if you don't, someone else is going to, and it became, it's kind of like their bragging rights for the year to see who, get, you know, who won the freestyle and they took pride in it. And that's what I think elevated it. And, you know, and when other people, they used to bring in people from out of, you know, when people would come from out of state and stuff, you know, they'd say, they were all, you always, and even still today, you hear about from people that come from out of state or judges that watch it. And they're like, I've never seen a competition like this because it is, you know, it's, we all like to have, it's a fun event and stuff, but when it comes down to it, everyone, like everyone ch- knows they had better come up with something special because it's going to take, you better bring your best horse and you better have a good idea because it's going to take something good to be competitive if you want to, you want to be up in the top. So yeah, totally agree. Just from going and watching those events also at the National Western, it's like, bring your A game. Because every every performance, I'm like, somebody can't top that, and then they top it. I'm like, somebody can't top that, and then they top it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. the showmanship is incredible, too. I mean, for our, our folks that don't uh, really know what the freestyle reigning is or aren't very familiar with the process, I think they'd be interested to hear about what goes into creating a routine, choosing the music, choosing the costume. I think that'd be fun to hear about. Um, yeah. So like for me, what I kind of do is first, I think of the horse I'm going to use. Um, typically I tend to use older horses that are broke and, um, I like to choose ones that are like the ones I've used recently, game day surprise and Walla was a fair. They're both pretty laid back. Um, I find that they deal with that, the atmosphere better. Um, they don't get amped up or scared of stuff. They're, um, so, and they've been, and they're old, like I said, they're older horses. They've been around a lot. They've been exposed to a lot of stuff. So it just gives you a little more leeway on to what you can do. And in addition to that, they're amazing athletes. They're great. I mean, they all do the maneuvers unbelievable. So, um, you know, that's just, so those are typically kind of ones I do. And when, once I know the horse I have, I try to dictate my song, to that. Like if I have a horse that's maybe like eat like game day surprise that I use, he's a little slower. He's kind of an old lazy man, right? Especially nowadays. So um, I'm not going to choose like a super fast upbeat song because it just doesn't, I, I feel it doesn't fit them right. Where, you know, if you have a horse that's quicker footed or, um, you know, really quick and agile, you can choose a faster pace song. So, you know, I try to dictate what my horse is and like a little bit too if you have a newer horse like when we're kind of I call them training horses for freestyle you know I might chose a little more slower beaded song or a little quieter song just to kind of give them a good intro to it because you're exposing them to a lot of new stimulus they're not used to the crowd they're not used to the lights they're not used to the noises the you know um the costumes, just all of it. It's a lot for them to take in. And, you know, as flight animals, they get scared. So, you know, and if you don't, my, like we always thought, my dad always said, if you don't use, introduce them to them correctly, you can, you know, it harms them and it scares them and it can even ruin them for their regular shows. You know, I had one horse, my old youth horse, it didn't scar him, but he got to where every time he heard music, he'd just like get amped up and like start bucking. And so like we quit using him because he was just like, yeah, 
<laughs> but um you know because they know what's going like a lot of them know and like even nowadays eli knows you know my old game day surprise that i use a lot i can take him into a raining pen and it's like he will not move his feet he will not go he's just like pulling teeth to get him to do anything but the second you walk through that gate he he like he just knows and you can feel it it's a different horse like i don't have to work to make him go you know i ask him to go he's going to go hard, harder than you know give it everything and so um you know i try to fit my music to my horse that way and then from there you know i typically depending on the song cuz they have to be under 4 minutes um i usually sometimes have to edit the music which i just use an app or something but you can take them in and get them edited and uh once in a while i have an idea of how i want to edit stuff so yeah so i try to kind of come up with my once i get my music i get it kind of cut how i want or shut shrunk down whatever so it's in the time limit i then try to gear my you know routine to it and um i tend to find like stuff like if they if there's repetitive words or um you know a instrument solo or something i tend to like put turns to those because those things like that repeat those seem to be good turning areas you know any areas that have like climatic like where it builds up and like has a big ending you know those tend to be good at stopping and stuff and so you know it's just kind of and that's where freestyle is fun is you can just kind of play it by ear and tie it all together and that's the challenge of it and what i love is to try to find something you know find ways to come up with different routines that really you know match the music and um, I've learned a lot watching different, you know, my dad's come up with them and other routines. You know, I still say Guy Vernon, he did a routine to um, Columbine back in, I can't remember what year, but that one to me was just the exhibit of perfect choreography. And um, like, you know, when the music built up and then hit, he'd slide. And then, you know, everything was just, and he, like when the music would get fast, he ran fast. And the second it slowed down, he, his horse slowed down right with it. And it's just, you know, I think that's the beauty of freestyle is it's, you know, lets you bring in some artistic stuff because I'm very unartistic in every other area. I can't sing. I can't play any instruments. I can't paint or do anything. So this is my artistic avenue. And so, um, you know, I like that challenge of trying to tie in the music and, you know, even listening to words. There was one time I, we did a freestyle for my dad the last time he competed and, you know, it was Chris Ledoux's the cowboy's hat and in it you know at one point we had him back up to the wall and like in the music it's like well if you're gonna go after me and my hat you have to fight us all and you know something like just as minute as that but you have you know ways to tie the music in and make it an experience for versus just riding around to the song kind of thing so I think that's something and I think it's a little you know people just overlook that part of it that artistic part of it is you know some guy some people just kind of play the song and do a pattern to it and you know it's but I think what makes Denver the freestyle Denver different is people you don't just do that you don't just ride around to the music it's you have to have some artistic bit LED into it and it's come become expected from the crowd and the judges well in the costumes I mean when it yeah the costume <laughs> yeah. is yeah that's that's always my last thing to do is piece together a costume and again I usually have a theme, like my deal, what I've kind of done is gotten into like, I choose a theme kind of like I'll find an artist or something. And so like the very thing, like I did Michael Jackson one. So, you know, after I came up with everything, I was like, okay, so I, the song I did was thriller. So I'm like, well, so I find the thriller costume, you know, and went out and found a jacket and pants and all that. And same thing, you know, 
I did Stevie, Steven Tyler, Aerosmith's Dream On. So I dressed up as Steven Tyler. And, you know, I think those kind of things, um, which, you know, for me, it's just a way to make it entertaining. And because um, not to dog on the guys, but I mean, it gets boring when everyone's just in a tuxedo jacket and a tie and a cowboy hat or, you know, like a big dress. Like I love the dresses and, you know, I'm, I'm all going game for a big dress, but you know, it's just, it's something different. And I like to change it up. You know, I get bored myself and I, well, I try to think of what the show, how it is for the exhibitor to look at. Like the, uh, I think the year I did um, Elton John, I was going to do a, I was going to do the prayer by Celine Dion and I, we, I mean, as we go into it, we all, all of us trainers talk and stuff. And I was kind of talked around to what everyone was doing and everything was such a slow song. And I was like, you know, how boring is this show going to be to watch? Like when they're all slow and sappy and, you know, cause the ballads are easier to come up with and they tend to have the, you know, all the elements you look for in a song, but I'm like, that's just kind of boring. And so, you know, I, that's what pushed me to look again. And I stumbled upon the Elton John song and then that morphed into that crazy costume and that kind of got all over the place. But, um, but you know, it, that was my deal though. As I said, I wanted to be fun. And that was, that screamed fun from start to finish. And, you know, and I've just been lucky, you know, that led to Lady Gaga and so on and so forth. So, um, but this year, and then this year I had to kind of tone her back down. Cause I kind of, I was joke, I set the bar really high and I was like, I kind of need to break it back down. Cause I'm running out of ideas. So I said it was the other, a nice ballad song. Or I was just going to have to do the guys and go into like George Strait with the cowboy hat and just like totally like low bar it. <laughs> well, because like when you say Elton John, you failed to mention that you wore his devil wings on the horse and did it like you weren't yeah. just dressed as Elton John. You had the full ensemble and it looked amazing. And I'm not going to lie now every year when I go to the freestyle, I'm like, what's Sherry going to wear? <laughs> because I, you just well, I keep get that going and hitting the bar higher and higher every year. Um, but You've also had the opportunity to go to China to um, to demonstrate the freestyle reigning, which is obviously a little more foreign to them over there. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and, you know, what it was like doing this demonstration in a completely different country where reigning is not by any means like a, a really popular sport out there? You know, we have we have riders from Japan and from China who compete in the reigning, but it's obviously not as well known as it is over here. Yeah, um, so that was a really unique opportunity I got. Um, Doug Milholland is actually the one who set me up for that. They had um, he's done a lot of work with getting raining started in China. Um, he's helped get helped get them horses. He's um, gone over giving clinics, um, helped put on little shows for them. You know, he's really been kind of the main guys to in, help introduce it over there. And so um, they contacted him and wanted, they said they ne wanted a female um, rider to come over and do freestyle reining at an event that was going on. It turned out to be like a tourist kind of like a tourist convention kind of thing. It was a bunch of um, a, like government officials that came t together and they were just, it, we were the entertainment for it. And they're kind of, the way I understood it is there's like a city that, they're developing to be the horse capital of China. And so they built this facility in this huge arena and stadium or yeah, kind of stadium. And, um, 
And so these people were coming to see it and they were, you know, coming to see what this area was going to be like. And so, and we were the entertainment in the show that they were presenting to them. So it was a three day show. So, um, Doug contacted me and, um, he initially contacted Stacy Westfall, but I think she was busy already because it, the dates changed a few times. So he contacted me and I was like, well, heck, why not? I'd love, sure. Never thought about going to China. And so, um, we, my mom, I drugged her in it with me because I was like, ah, you know, traveling halfway around the world by myself was a little daunting. So, um, I, and she's my costume coordinator. So I had to take my costume coordinator with me. So, um, we went to China for 15 days in 2019 and, um, we stayed at their ranch and the guy, his name is Mr. Lee. And we stayed at his ranch and worked with him and his, um, his trainers there for a few days, which was great. And then went to, went on a Chinese road trip and then went to the, um, where we were going to perform. And we were there, I think a week and it was a great experience. They had riders from all over the world. They had, um, you know, Charo team from Mexico. They had a group of, um, group from Argentina. Um, they had some group from Mongolia. They had, uh, horses from, you know, they had a guy, a Spanish bullfighting trainer. Um, I'm trying to think what all they had. They had some dancers from Italy. They brought in this famous composer that played the piano. They had, um, like, it was just amazing the talent they brought in. So that was really fun. And, um, so it's, you know, that was a great opportunity and really fun. And actually, and like the facility was pretty impressive because it was this giant arena and it had a backdrop, like a screen that was, I, I don't even know how big it was. It was like the size of a football field and you could choose your background. And like, you know, when I got there, I gave them several options of what I could do. And then they're like, well, could you do let it go by frozen? Because that was a pop, not many Chinese people and like know a lot of American songs, but that was one they knew. And they're like, could you do that? And I was like, oh, sure. You know, I can do that. And so, um, you know, I got there and they gave me a background and they're like, well, we can blow snow on the audience. And I was just like, what? You know, like the stuff they did was amazing. And, you know, they had one act that a guy, he was riding a horse and they gave him like a bar. It was like a bar full of, and they had like it on fire on the other end. And he's riding this horse with this fire thing. And then he's strapped to a cord and he lifts off the horse and goes like flying through. Like it was just, you want, like when we're watching this, we're like, holy cow, what is that? And like every act they had, like the opening thing was this giant Andalusian horse with this girl riding it. And it had at least 10 foot wings on the side. Like it looked like a real Pegasus horse. And this horse is care like they had to be careful because it, the, it, the wings were so big and heavy, they knocked the horse over. And so they had to, everything had to be placed and like the horse would go out and rear up and then lay like bow with them and stuff. But it was like everything they did was just amazing. So, you know, it was really fun. They brought in um, Toru McCoy from Japan and um, he performed with me as long with Mr. Lee and um, his trainers as well. So they kind of did a guy's routine and then um, I did the performed to let it go and um and toru performed with that with me as well so it was really fun and a great opportunity you know i met made a lot of great memories and you know getting to show reigning to them like the um spark, you know all of them are very interested in it they're very eager to learn um it was great interesting to see how they've started um introducing like the general public to horses you know the mr lee he has uh i think he has four 
um, riding schools and they ride primarily English and stuff, but he's, they start with English and then they tr- progress to Western and eventually try to get them into reining and um, Western dressage, other disciplines. So, you know, it's just, it was really cool to see how, you know, they're building the sport over there and um, the interest and stuff. And the, you know, people, it, it was definitely unique cause I've never, you know, I was over there and like, just going to the, I, the town we were in, we'd like, walk around or walk to the grocery store and people would follow my mom and I and video us. And our translator was like, they're like, you're probably the first white people they've ever seen in person. And she goes, they're taking videos and they they're videoing you so they can show their families. Cause no one will believe them that they saw you and stuff. And so, like, it was just very surreal that way. Cause I was, you know, I mean, we're, the States are so diverse and stuff. So you don't think about it, but going over there, it's just kind of, it was, it was weird to be, you know, have people do that. Like I'd come out of the bathroom and women would be throwing their children at me to take pictures with them. And I'm just like, what, you know, cause I, I mean, I'm a horse trainer, so that doesn't happen, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was fun and uh, definitely an experience I, you know, will treasure forever and stuff. So. That is an experience. I would agree that that's an experience. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know. That's hilarious to be videoed. And you're like, I don't, yeah. uh, I don't know what you need, but I'll take your picture, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so other than that, you know, very boring, very dull event that you went to in China. I'm just kidding. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, other other high points in your career that really stand out to you? Um, honestly, probably the biggest one for me was winning the 25th um, anniversary of the Dodge Invitational Freestyle. Um, they were that year they had invited all the champions back. And so it was the first time my dad had shown in it in, for a little while. And so I talked him into doing it. And then they had, um, cause they had all the champions and then I was they invited me back cause I'd been like a four time reserve champion. And then, um, another Angela Piconi, they invited her cause she was the first people's choice. So, I think they got, they wanted to get up to like 15 or something like that. And so, um, you know, I, and that was the year I'd just come back from China and, um, you know, it just kind of is one of those things that just worked out. They'd done, um, that it just kind of, I come up with that idea last minute. It was a family thing. Like you said, the wings I had literally, my dad was constructing them the morning we're heading down there, like with his drill bits and stuff, because they were falling apart. Like, like, and I'd never ridden with them. So the first time I rode with them was when we, I put them on as I was walking through the gate and I was just like, all right, I hope these stay on and don't like kill me. Cause they were tied around my neck. Like that was the only way we could think to hold them up. So they're like wrapped around my neck. And, um, so it was just kind of like one of those things that, but you know, I was just, and for the first time, cause I always had like a bit, like I said, I'd been for second so many times and been, re- I'd been up there, but you know, and there were lots of times, you know, I thought I could win it and I had it. And so, you know, I'd put a lot of pressure on myself, but that year I just kind of said, you know, I'm just going to have fun with it. I don't care if I win it. You know, there's all these champions in it. So I probably am not going to, I'm just going to be, I want to entertain them. And so it just worked out, you know, that, that, you know, my horse was amazing during it and the routine was really fun and the crowd loved it and my wings held together and I didn't choke during the routine. So you know, that was pretty special to me and have my dad there to watch and compete with me. And, you know, the whole thing and my sister, she had flown in. So she was there to help as well. So, 
um, it was just a fun time. And my dad finished third, which, you know, that was amazing too for, you know, he was happy because he was just like, I just don't want to embarrass myself again. So, you know, he was happy. So, I mean, it was just one of those deals that it worked out the best. And um, that's, and it was a dream of mine since I was a little kid. So to have that actually, you know, happen for me was pretty special. And to have my, all of my family and friends there and, you know, and even that was probably the coolest is the other trainers, you know, over the years, all of them, Devin, Bob, Drake, Shane, you know, they're rooting for me to, you know, cause every night we'd sit, you know, they, we all watch each other's routines during the practice and, you know, everyone would watch and they'd be like, Oh, Sherry's got the routine. You know, they knew my routines were good and, it, you know, and they'd watched me come so close, but you know, fall short. And, you know, they were as happy, they were probably more happy for me than anyone. You know, I came out and all of them, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's humbling when you, you know, walk out and you see every, all the other trainers are standing there watching through the gate because they want to watch and, you know, you get out there and they're all cheering and, you know, hoping that you're going to win it and stuff. So that was really humbling to, you know, have all these guys that I'd looked up to growing up and stuff, you know, there to, you know, happy for me to see that I finally reached a goal of mine. So. I, I like to think that our Colorado reigning community is so supportive of each other. And and like you said, with like the different trainers, like you guys are competing against each other, but at the end of the day, they were probably more excited about you winning than you probably were just because they've seen, they've seen you grow up a lot of these guys, let's be real. And, and, you know, seen you through the years. And I love that about this particular event at the stock show, because I feel like it brings the community together and they just want to do something really fun and exciting. And like you said, you're putting on a show for like people, like my neighbors, my neighbors across the street go to these events and they have never even sat on a horse. And so it's just such a cool experience, but you've talked a little bit about like some of the special moments that have stood out for you in your career, but what about the special horses that have helped you, you know, get to where you are today? I know you've mentioned Eli a couple of times. He's obviously a very special one for you. He's actually hanging on a picture of him is hanging on my wall too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I yes, look at Eli yep. every day. Um, but he's, he's a very <laughs> photogenic guy. He really <laughs> is. Eli has graced the cover of horse and rider as has Sherry, but not on Eli on another horse. No. But um, no. can you talk a little bit about the special horses that have come into your life and and what about them has you know I don't know if heart horse is a good word or, or just you know ones that have kind of shaped your life yeah um well my first one that always comes to my mind is uh, my youth horse that my parents bought me this gelding um named HR Powder River Athena I called him Bubbles and he was like my first real horse of my own like I'd always kind of gotten horses that were hand-me-downs for my sister or my parents and you know and I just kind of I never really attached to him, but when my parents bought me bubbles, he was kind of my first horse. And, um, you know, I showed him and I'd won a couple saddles, you know, some youth awards and like a national saddlesmith series with him and had a lot of success, but he was like, he was, I guess just my first horse. And for what my mom to this day says, if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't be in this because he was the reason when we got him, I started getting more interested in it and wanting to show in the summer and like, you know, He's the one that, um, you know, my mom always told me, well, you can sell him and get a new horse or sell him and go do that. And I was like, no, I'm not like, I just won't show anything if I can't, <laughs> if I have to get rid of him. And so, you know, he was my horse, my like heart horse. And so, you know, I owe a lot of it for him is because he's the one that kept me in it and kept, you know, kind of kept my foot into it and got me, you know, when I was, whether, and I could do anything on him. I mean, he was like 
Powder River Playboy. And actually, he was a cutting horse when we bought him. But the guy had played with the reining a little bit, and he was a freaky huge stopper. So, um, you know, he just kind of was one that you wouldn't expect it from him. But he and I clicked really well, and he, he, you know, he really gave me the bug and kind of kept me, led me down the path that I ended up on. Um, Eli is definitely up there with him. Um, he's one, my dad, one of our oldest clients, um, Sharhan bought him. Like my dad had got him, the people that bred him, Mike Deer. He sent him to my dad because um, Aaron had started him, Aaron Ralston, but was going out of town for a while. And so Mike sent him to my dad to keep him, keep him going and see if we could sell him. And so my dad got him and he really liked him. So he talked Shar into buying him. And so they, my dad trained him and showed him until he was about four. And he wasn't quite an open horse. He was just a little too lazy and he'd always kind of make some little mistakes. It was just not quite there. So we had the opportunity to buy him from Char. So I bought it. We bought him for me for a non-pro horse and I showed him till he was six. And, you know, and I'd, um, you know, I loved him and he was just, he was for me as a non-pro, he's one of my first really big time kind of non-pro horses. And I made the finals at the NRBC on him. And, um, you know, he kind of helped me get a little reach that next competitive level I had wanted. And, um, then I, after when he, after I showed him at the NRBC, I think I, I told him to one of our, my dear friends, um, Barney Kurth that was riding with us. And so she's owned, she owned him from six till like two years ago. I actually um, bought him back from her. Um, but she was so nice cause she loved him too from the start and I knew he'd be perfect for her. And she had, uh, did, had great success with him and, showed him all over the place and unfortunately had some health issues to where she couldn't ride anymore. So, um, she had to s- said she decided to sell him. And so I couldn't let him go anywhere. So I bought him and he's basically retired. He, he makes his come out ride for the freestyle once a year, but, um, but you know, he's, he's still fat and happy lives right by main spot of the barn and gets attention in apples every day. So he's, you know, he's again, another one that he just gave me so many opportunities and, um, you know, just really, and I know I can count on him, you know, when I bought him, I'm like, I really don't need to buy an H gelding that, you know, but I'm like, I can't let him go anywhere. And, um, even if, you know, he's, it's nice to have one, even for me, a lot of it is, you know, I ride so many young ones and, you know, I'm always trying to work on stuff. It's for me, like my dad laughs, there's more times than not that I just get on and bareback with like a halter and tootle around. And my dad's like, well, he made the comment a little while ago. He goes, it took, he's 15 years old, but he finally reached, he finally gets to become a little girl's horse. Cause like, like that's what I do. But for me, that's, you know, I think that's what keeps me is that deep down, I do love my horses and I spoil them. And they're, you know, while I am training them and I kind of, you know, I try to be a professional about it, but I'm a little girl that just loves horses and likes to play with them. So, you know, I'm, I'm out there riding on my, riding him around and playing with him. And he's one, you know, like the other day I put him on, we have a flag in our arena and all my other horses are terrified of it. And he's not a huge fan of it, but like we played on the flag and, you know, if I want to go ride at ropings or what, he's kind of my old guy that I can do anything on with now. So, you know, he doesn't have huge, and like, some of our clients that we have some that like my mom or we had a lady that had a back surgery and she's her horse is a little young and she was a little worried. So I'm like, here, ride him. And so he kind of, I call him my geriatric rehab horse. So he like all my, any of my clients that like need rehabbed, he helps them get back in the saddle and stuff. So he has his purpose, but it's pretty low impact. Like 
everyone laughs because I have strict rules. If you ride Eli, it's like, none of that, no, that don't do that. <laughs> and so, um, he's, he's up there. And then I'd probably say matrix spooks matrix was another one. He fit, even though he wasn't mine, um, he's definitely made a huge impact. You know, he got me, helped me reach a new level and push myself up to a, the new level, a new level of competitiveness as an open rider and, you know, gave me so many opportunities that I never thought I'd have and, you know, made a lot of my dreams come true that way. So he's up there as one of the special ones as well. So Eli sounds like the horse everybody needs to have. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Everybody, everybody loves Eli. He's a, he's a ham and he loves the attention. And like I said, he's, he he's pretty special he's one of those like even when because when i was talking with barney and she was so she was it was devastating to her to have to sell him because she loved him and um when she told me that and i hung up the phone i said you guys are going to think i'm stupid but i'm going to try to buy him and my dad goes i'm glad you said that because he goes i was trying to figure out how we would buy him if you weren't going to and he goes we can't let him go anywhere <laughs> so so it's not it's not just me it's my whole family so you know there's we always say there's horses that, you know, that touch your soul and they don't owe you a thing. And we, we feel like we owe it to them to take care of them and let them live out their lives, how they deserve and pampered and spoiled. And that is definitely how Eli is doing. <laughs> and it's the best when everybody's on the same page. You're like, I'm going to do this crazy thing. I'm going to buy this horse. And they're like, well, we were going to do the same thing. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Makes you feel better. Like it helps when my parents are the crazy horse people too. So when you're going, I'm going to, I shouldn't be spending this money or buying this horse. I don't need to. And they're like, yeah, well, we're going to, we were going to do it if you didn't. So <laughs> I need more of those enablers in my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're a bad family about that. <laughs> uh, Sherry, it's been awesome talking with you. Uh, I know we've really appreciated your time here. Uh, yeah, no problem. Thank you guys. Is there somewhere where folks can follow along with your journey, social media, where can they find you to watch more of your freestyle videos or just kind of see your training? Um, we, I have, I'm on Facebook, um, under my own name, but also Schwarzenberger Equine is our page. And I try to send, put my routines and stuff on there. I have an Instagram, but I'm not very good about using it, but I can't, it's S R S C H W A. Um, so that's on there, but you know, Facebook's probably the easiest. That's kind of the, what, the, what I can manage with my schedule and stuff is to keep up there. We also have a website, www.ssequine.com. So you know, that needs a little revamp, so don't go there yet, but um, we're a little behind on that one, but, you know, hopefully, you know, those are some pretty good spots that we try to keep people updated and stuff, so. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. I like no I, this conversation could keep going, I feel like, oh, yeah. um, but I know that you're very busy. So um, thank you for, for taking this hour plus to talk with us and, um, you know, tell people a little bit more about who you are and, and why it is that you love what you do and, and, you know, the freestyle and the raining and everything. Well, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity and inviting me to do it. It's been fun. And, you know, I hope if anyone ever, again, extends to the audience, if anyone has any questions about reining horses, anything, you know, freestyle, whatever, you know, I'm always available. You can shoot us an email on our website or shoot me a message on Facebook or whatever. You know, I love, I love talking about horses. And like, like you said, I could talk all day. So awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.